Praise God. What a, what a great song to, uh, to offer up to the Lord, and what a request as Christians that we would ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. And uh, we certainly seek that uh, in the days that we live in now and in our own lives, and just as a church and as a people, uh, we, we cry out and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. I, I just want to take a minute, and uh, I want to thank you for just um, all your support, all your prayers. Uh, not only for each other, um, but for us as pastors, Pastor Dan, myself, the deacons, the leadership. Uh, thank you for your support for the church financially. Um, just grateful because we are starting to slowly um, lift, uh, the restrictions are being lifted, and we're getting kind of very slowly back to, to doing things that we had been doing all along. And uh, I'm grateful that we have our pantry going uh, with our curbside pickup, and that's a blessing uh, to our community and uh, I just praise God for that, uh, that, that opportunity, that outlet for ministry to share the love of Christ. And um, thank you again for your support. And uh, just a reminder that um, we are starting to have our in-person services on Father's Day, June 21st at 8.15 and 10.30. And um, check out our website. Uh, be- before this week is up, we will have a link there with just a quick uh, a list of guidelines and how things will look. It's, it's, it's simple. So uh, don't let that scare you when I say uh, that, but um, we're looking forward to getting together in person. So I want to encourage you to do that as well if you're able and to consider that. Um, so praise God that, that we can do that. Uh, I want to get right back into, as our time is going this morning, and our attention is on the Holy Spirit as we sang that song, because I just had a thought as we were uh, sitting and reminded, I guess, by the Holy Spirit, really, that as we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, that we have something absolutely amazing right in our hands, access right there, and in our hearts and minds, and that is the Word of God. And when I say that, it's because I think of what Jesus said in John's Gospel when he promised the Holy Spirit would come, the Comforter would come. And he, he described and he explained with the Holy Spirit what he would do, what his job would do. And one of the things that he did is that he would teach and he would guide us. He would convict us. But he, he, Jesus said that he would, if I can paraphrase, he would simply remind us and pass on to us and guide us with everything that Jesus already said. He wasn't going to add something He would maybe, he might prompt us and inspire us and speak to us in various ways and in our minds and our thoughts, brothers and sisters, but it would be consistent with the word. He wouldn't add anything. And so we have this great guide, this great, we use all these adjectives, a manual for our lives, a, a directive for how we should proceed and advance in our lives. And when we allow and if we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, and I pray that's your prayer, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us as we listen to a parable in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Very well known. In fact, probably most people have heard of it. There are laws named after this parable, but it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, and verses 10 to 37. And I remember as a child, and and even now, how I used to love to listen to stories. And in particular, my grandparents, my my own parents, my father, 
uh, my mother, of how they were growing up in Paraguay. I mean, a different world from what we live in here. And, and you know, 30, 40, 45, 50 years ago, and how they lived and how it was so different and, and more of a, a rural and agricultural kind of life. And they didn't have running water like we do, and electricity wasn't even there. And just the great stories and running into snakes and all kinds of crazy wildlife and having to deal with that. And anyway, I could go on and on. But it was fascinating to me about the details they would share. And you know why? Stories have an amazing way of sticking with us. If I could use that expression, they stick with us. And, and even as an adult, when we hear a story, it, there, we can relate to it. it. It's very real life and there's practical application that we can find and we can share sentiments. We can share experiences through those stories that, that we hear. And most of all, of course, I love to hear stories when I hear someone tell them about me. And if I'm in earshot, it's kind of cool. It can be a good thing. Sometimes it's not good. But, but a lot of times it is, and I like those. And we find ourselves identifying with a character or characters in a story in particular, and with parables that Jesus shared. Jesus was an awesome storyteller, a powerful one. He got to the point. He pricked people's heart with it. And listen to this picture of reality that Jesus paints in the parable in Luke chapter 10. And it's a story. A parable is a story with a spiritual application and a moral lesson for us to apply. And, and in this case, it was a response to a man who was a lawyer. And, and not in a legal and court sense, but in a religious sense. And with his knowledge of the Old Testament law, of what the rules were for good, righteous living, to please God. And he wanted to know, after being a religious leader, he wanted to know, and he came to Jesus here, and he wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answers in verse 26 of chapter 10, and he, and he asks a question, the Socratic approach, if you will. And he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Or if I could paraphrase, how do you understand it? What does that mean? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself, this lawyer said. And Jesus says, correct. Now do it and you'll live. Now in the man's mind, and you can really kind of get into his mind based on his response, that's impossible. He knows that. Wait a minute. So he tries to shift and justify himself. And he says, wait a minute, who is my neighbor? And Jesus illustrates and he makes his point very clear. Starting in verse 30, when he says, and I read, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite. When he had come to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, reimburse, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The robbers. And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Boy, those are piercing. If you start to think about the time we live in, the world we live in, just humanity in general, and everything that in our own lives, and it's just convicting, and it just you can relate, and you can find yourself in that story so easily. And if I could paint a picture of what Jesus is saying here, I would first paint, and I would show you that there is a road. And it really, it's a, it's a message that we are all on a road. We are on a journey. We're leaving from someplace, you know, and it's a, there's a parallel. And if I could take the metaphor, there's, there's this Jerusalem where God wants us to be. It's this, the holy city. It's in a high place. And it's a long 18-mile road that goes down to Jericho, which was way down, about a half a mile lower in elevation. And, and I'm not going to read into it. I'm not going to st- extract and, and spread out the analogy and, and the metaphor to mean more than what's there because it's, it's not totally clear. But you can read into it. And it's this journey that we're on. And when we're on that, there's, there's a lot of danger and perils in this life. Notice one of the things in the parable, that this man is traveling alone on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's alone. Now, it's not very smart to take that 18-mile journey or to go on a hike down at the Yellow Dot Trail or to go kayaking down the Wood River all alone. You can do it, but that's not very wise to do that. You're supposed to always have a buddy when you do something or go on an adventure or a trip like this. If something happens to you, there's no one to help or no one to call for help even. Of course, there are those today who brave and think they're okay by themselves because of their cell phone. But what happens when you have no service? Or when your cell phone battery dies? You're still alone. Maybe you made that choice. I mean, and maybe you've made bad choices. I know I have. And maybe you've made a terrible decision to go alone because you are simply confused. Maybe you are tired. Maybe you are weak, or maybe you're just not thinking, or if I can even spiritualize and propose that maybe we were disillusioned because of sin and how we were blinded because of all the error of our ways. Maybe that's what was going on with this guy. One of those things was happening, and he gets attacked, and he desperately needs help because he's left for half dead. He's got a big problem. And now he desperately needs that help. And why did he ever go alone? And when you look, if I want to be critical, why did he even go alone? You know, the truth is that I don't have the answer. And you don't either. Why do people drive drunk? We can have an explanation, but is it really an answer if we get down to the core core of it all? 
I don't have the answer. Why, why, why do children do their own thing even after parents and siblings say, don't do it, that's not a wise decision. The truth is, is that we all make our own choices and even in those choices, even if they are seemingly okay and reasonable, we come across all kinds of dangers and troubles in our lives and you know the truth is that on this journey of life, humanity is filled with breakdowns all around us. And, and really, if I could just say this sermon is all about having these various perspectives on breakdown lane, because that's what this journey is like. There are breakdowns all around us in humanity and in our own life. And the truth is, the reality is, that we run into these breakdowns all the time, all around us. Now let me look at me with me at, at, at these attitudes or perspectives that these individuals in this parable had towards this breakdown. This man that was beaten up and, 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 and attacked on this road to Jericho and, and what happened on this journey. First of all, we see that there are those robbers who caused the problem. Now, they looked at this traveler as someone that they could take advantage of. They didn't value this person. They valued only what this, they could take from this person. They didn't value who he was, they, but they placed a premium on what he may have owned, whether they knew it or not. You know, I have been, if I could just stretch it out and make an application, I have been in this situation. And maybe, but it wasn't a physical one, but it was a, a verbal and an emotional I'm sorry for the expression, but an emotional or verbal mugging. I don't know, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've been through that, but, but I've been through that. And then you're left out to dry. And, and maybe it's even your own family members, or maybe it was your closest friends. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you can relate to that? It's true, it's happened to me, so I know I'm not the only one. Some people just love to make problems. Now, the theological and, and Christian simple response, and it's true, it, it, it doesn't make it any easier, but it's that, well, there's sin in the world, and we know that. But it doesn't take away the fact that there are people who love to make problems. They love to hurt people. They take away dignity. They create tension. And it's all over the place. And no, it's not tied directly to a certain political party or a certain ethnicity or skin color or whatever it is. Whatever your identification process is and how you identify and you separate. It's not about that. It's a problem that's universal with all people across this globe. I was a troublemaker. I remember my younger years. Now, you're not going to believe this, for those of you who know me a little bit, but some of you do know, when I was in elementary school, and particularly in fourth and fifth grade, and going a little bit into the sixth grade, I was a fighter. Don't ask me why, but I would actually get into fights during recess, and I can't tell you how many pink slips in a row I got, and pink slips were these little notices my parents would get, and once you got three pink slips, my mom... This is crazy. My mom had to pick me up every day for a week and take me home for the hour lunch and recess and bring me back. I am not kidding. And I got many of those. I got many. I'm not proud of that, but that's what I was a fighter. I like to cause problems. I don't know why. I don't know why I made those decisions. 
you, I could have explanations, but I was a troublemaker. But there are troublemakers all around us, and they are these robbers, and they don't know, they don't always look like a robber, whatever that means to you. Some robbers look really dignified. They wear a wonderful suit, or they wear the wonderful dress or gown, whatever you want, but they're still robbers because you can be robbed in so many different ways. There were these robbers who were the cause of this problem this traveler had. They were on the same road, but they were looking to take advantage. Secondly, there are the priest and the Levite. And these are the guys who ignored the breakdown that they came across on Breakdown Lane. They just ignored. They were useless. I hate to even say that because that's strong. But this priest and this Levite were useless in this situation. They didn't do anything after they saw that there was a serious problem on this road. Instead, they passed by this man who's lying on the road half dead. You know what they were? They were rubberneckers on the road. You know, when you get into a traffic jam and you see somebody there on the side of the road, they're in trouble or a car's broken down. And I understand the reasons for not st stopping, unfortunately, that's where we've come as people in, in our society and culture now because we're afraid and it could be dangerous. But everyone just rubbernecks. They want to see what it looks like. Ooh, how traumatic is it? How bad is that accident? And then they just move on. Oh, I hope they're all right. And they move on. And we do that with people so much. This priest and this Levite, they did that. They knew all about religion. They knew all about the right thing to do, but they didn't practice it. Now, let me just, be, I'm being candid and frank. I've been guilty of that. Have you been guilty of that? I think we have. And it's not just physically on the side of 95, but it's just on this road of life, on breakdown lane, where there's people all around us. If I will, there's bodies all around us in the spiritual even, not just the physical, but we just ignore, we pass by, and there could be reasons for that. You know why? Because the priest and the Levite, they were worried only about themselves. They were. The priest could make sacrifices in the temple, but he wasn't willing to sacrifice time, energy, and a clean robe because of this half-dead person. They wanted to preserve themselves. What if the robbers are still around? I can't take that chance. I won't take that risk. I want to preserve myself. Self-preservation is there, and it's at the core of all of us. And so we think about that even a little bit, and sometimes all the time and through and through. And so we just ignore because we're too afraid. It's too big of a risk. We wouldn't take the risk. And then we think, well, someone else will help that person. Today, there are way too many problems or people who are on breakdown lane, who are half dead, who are broken, who are hurting, and their hearts are broken. They need a savior. They need redemption. They need a healer. And they're just simply ignored. Often, they might even be our family and friends. And this is the road, think about it, that most people take, unfortunately. They even take detours to avoid an uncomfortable encounter. 
You've done that in the supermarket. When you see someone down the road and you don't quite get along, or you quite, you've had an encounter, maybe they hurt you or you hurt them, but you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to help. And you go down three more aisles making sure you don't see them. God, help us and forgive us. It's wrong. We're too busy. We don't take the time to spend with somebody who's broken on breakdown lane to help them, to lift them up with the love of Christ and to share the truth about who Jesus is and how much He is there and loves them and died for them. We're, and we even look at ourselves as being too important sometimes. And we compare ourselves to other people. God, forgive us for that. So we expect someone else to help them. We're so tired. We have so much going on and our emotional, spiritual, and physical energy is exhausted. So when someone with more energy comes comes by, they can help them. They have more strength. It's unfortunate. And it's sad. And it grieves the heart of God, I believe. But But on the journey that we are on, there are those who either create problems, ignore them for various reasons, or sometimes even capitalize on them. What I mean by capitalize is that they first ask the question in their mind, what's in it for me? Before helping a neighbor, a fellow human being on breakdown lane. And I pray and I trust that there are not so many of those people, but unfortunately there are. And we can get trapped by that as well. But quickly, along comes a helper. A hero who wasn't the priest or the Levite who knew better. But the Samaritan comes by and he doesn't ignore or cause the problem. He wasn't the cause, but he fixed the breakdown that he came across on Breakdown Lane. When he sees the problem, he has one thought. I have to help. I have to help and I have to help in every way that I can and that I am able to. He was a Samaritan. Let me tell you why that's important. Because everybody who had come by so far was Jewish. And if we talk about ethnicities and people groups, here we go. The Samaritan was somebody who was despised, viewed as somebody who was lesser in humanity by many Jewish people. There was a wall, if I could say, that was put up between these people groups because of various histories and reasons and sentiments and the list goes on. It didn't make it right or proper. It was wrong in God's eyes. And this Samaritan, he stops and he sees this individual, not even thinking about what ethnicity he was, what his status was in culture, what the socioeconomic status was, but he pauses And he feels something when he sees the situation. You know what he feels? Compassion. Because compassion always feels something, feels the hurt, and realizes the reality of the situation. And he had the best interest of the man in mind. It exemplified. And he exemplified. This compassion exemplifies what it means to be unselfish. Compassion does something. He talked to the man as best as he could. Are you awake? Are you okay? Are you all right? What happened? Maybe he couldn't respond, but when he saw the wounds, he realized what he had to do, even if he didn't get a verbal response. He touched the man. Jesus, you know, if you want to stretch it out, 
And it, there's a parallel here. And the metaphor is that Jesus ultimately is that good Samaritan. He touched people when he ministered to them. He wasn't afraid to do that. The Son of God, the Son of Man, fully God, fully human, was not afraid to rub soldiers, shoulders with humanity. He was not afraid. He wasn't inconvenienced by that. He wasn't threatened by that. His status, he didn't think of himself so high that he couldn't relate or do that. But this Samaritan comes and touches. You know, you think about in John chapter 8, this woman who was accused by her accusers for adultery. And Jesus, who says, if anyone who hasn't, who hasn't committed a sin, you be the first one to throw the stone. If you're, the, if you're that innocent, you know what? Don't, and he calls them out and he reaches out and he touches her and he lifts her up and tells her to go and sin no more. Compassion and mercy and action. It was there. It's love and action. Because compassion costs something. It just doesn't feel something. It does something. But when it does something, it costs. The Samaritan man who stopped sacrificed for this man who was half dead. He took out his oil and wine from his travel sack. And those were valuable resources in that time. And he pours the oil and wine, the wine to disinfect the wound and the oil to comfort and soothe that to speed up the healing and take away the sting of the healing process and the disinfecting process. And then he lifts up the man on his donkey and takes him to the inn. This requires energy. He sacrificed his energy and then he stayed with the man and he took care of him all night long. That required time. That required time. He actually stayed with him. And the next morning, he paid for his stay with the innkeeper. And then, and then some. Whatever else was the difference, he paid that extra to that innkeeper. You know, compassion demonstrates our relationship to God as Christians. How we love and how compassion, which is that love in action, how it's demonstrated, it proves that we are God's people. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 to 18, Jesus said, this, I mean, John said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on him, on them, how can the love of God be in you? Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Scripture. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. That is powerful. That is convicting. And it was manifest. It was played out. And it was demonstrated by the Good Samaritan. And then we're invited and we're asked. We're commanded throughout Scripture and Jesus' own words. And the epistles, especially in 1 John. That we ought to love each other and love others. And that love has to be in our hearts overflowing with compassion, which is love in action. So, so what's the point of Jesus' story. What I have shared, in a sense, is a meta metaphorical interpretation and application, and it works with, with real-time application with the world that we live in. But the lessons that we learn from Jesus' intent of the parable are these. First, we are to set aside 
all our prejudice and show love and compassion for others. I haven't perfected that. You haven't perfected that. God doesn't struggle with prejudice. He doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have any looking down on others for various reasons, whatever they might be, whether it's economic or ethnicity or, as I mentioned earlier, a whole slew of things. You might have your own list. But we've got to set aside all of that and show love and compassion for others because as Christians we recognize that humans are created in the image of God. And they were all the same in God's eyes. He loves us all equally, and we ought to love equally as well. The second, our neighbor is anyone that we encounter. You know, the, the, the lawyer, and I didn't mention this, but the lawyer, when he said, who is my neighbor, that word neighbor in the Greek means somebody that you have a close association with. The associations of that lawyer were all Jewish law masters or religious masters. And so that's how he took it. But Jesus expands that and says, listen, it's all of humanity, not just those who are close to you, but it's people in general, everywhere, all around you. And we are to love all mankind just as Jesus has taught us to and as he loves them and desires them to come to him. Finally, the third lesson is it's impossible to keep the law in its entirety so that we can be saved. And so we need a savior. We can't perfectly love everyone all the time. That's the truth. It's the truth. It doesn't matter how hard you argue you can or that somebody is so lovable or, they're, or that they're, they're, their cause is so compassionate and loving. But we can't do it perfectly because we're constantly fighting all those things that come against that inside of our heart of hearts. So we need a Savior. And Jesus, the Good Samaritan, comes along and rescues us. Because we have all been broken and banged up in our heart of hearts, in our spirits. That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. And as we travel, that's even unfortunately what troublemakers do in our lives. Keeping these lessons in mind and applying those lessons, let me ask you some questions. Which of the characters in the parable do you identify with in life right now? You may identify with all of them. You might feel like you're one of those right now, and I won't point out, you know who that might be. But maybe you identify, if I could just point one out, with the traveler who was hurt, ignored, and left to die, because really, that's all of us. Maybe you realize that you know what the right thing to do, it, to do but you don't do it. Maybe you are like the Good Samaritan, and that's what Jesus desires as a demonstration of what really love looks like in truth. Jesus is ultimately that Good Samaritan. Sin and the attitudes that sin creates in us confront us in this life every single day. But Jesus humbly came. He got dirty, if you will, and he gave his life on the cross. He, his blood cleanses us from the lethal infection of sin. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to comfort us 
Jesus is a great Savior. He's the only Savior. And He's a compassionate Savior. And He sees you on breakdown lane right now. What's your perspective on breakdown lane right now? Here's the challenge as I close. The challenge is not to ask the question, who is my neighbor? But what kind of neighbor am I? And to put into practice Jesus' words to go and to do likewise. Oh, may God help us to take to heart. There is so much in this parable. And I encourage you to read it over and over again. That the Holy Spirit might lead you to identify who you are in that parable. Or where you've been in that parable. And then relate yourself to others in that parable along this road of life that we're on. Because there are a lot of breakdowns on this road right now. God help us. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your great compassion that you saw the brokenness of humanity on this road of life, that it was going downhill into a bad place, into an eternity without you, apart from you, separate from you. Lord, I thank you that even as the various things, especially sin and Satan and, and all his influences banged us up, Lord God, and hurt us and damaged us and caused us, Lord Jesus, to be lying there as half dead. Even when others ignored us, Jesus, you took note. And I thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us, you shed your blood. Lord, I thank you that you are our hope. You are our savior. You are our healer. You are the good Samaritan. And you come alongside. You lift us up and you help us. You heal us. You save us. Lord, I thank you for this parable that reminds us, Lord, that you want us to be good Samaritans. That you want us to ask that question, what kind of neighbor am I? Help us, Lord, today to go and do likewise as the Samaritan. We need your help. We pray, Lord God, for our nation. We pray for our world. We pray for our families. We pray for our medical experts. We pray, Lord, for everything going around. And we ask, Lord Jesus, and we plead, Lord God, that you would help us all and our leaders to be reasonable and righteous, God. And may we constantly demonstrate your love and compassion as your church, as your people, and we do it not by our strength, but by your strength, the power of the Holy Spirit, with the word of truth in our hearts and on our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Be a good Samaritan. Take to heart this parable and live out what Jesus wants you to do, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself, as much as you love God. Amen. God bless you. Have a blessed day.